three times. You're a different sort of fan. I am your host, Get Dizzy. We're here once again to enjoy a full hour of music, freeform review, music from all around the world, all types of people, all periods of time are going to enjoy it all together. It's been a while since we've heard from our friend, Joe Frank. We'll start off with a excerpt from his piece, On the Edge, a little bit longer than usual, so get comfortable. Uh, we'll also hear some new music from Wilma Vritra. That is a collaboration to Pyramid Vritra. And uh, an artist I'm not familiar with named Wilma. can also look forward to some more Nick Coleman, Carl Craig, Billy Cobber, many more. It's going to be a good show, so get comfortable. Join us in the chat, datafm slash chat if you want to. And please enjoy the show. A few years ago, Lucille began to date Vietnam War veterans, men who still appeared at shopping malls dressed in battle fatigues and camouflage gear, who still slept with M16s close at hand and bayonets under their pillows, who fell to a combat-ready position at the sound of the backfiring automobile, who spoke about how isolated they'd felt on the other side of the world and how no one back home had been prepared to reintegrate them into society. She invited these men to her home, where she played Bob Dylan, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, and Ravi Shankar records on her stereo, incense burning, her coffee table covered with the books of Herbert Marcuse, Khalil Gibran, Baba Ram Das, and applications for ashram retreats. She hung the walls with Paisley Indian prints and posters for the Fillmore East, and she wore a t-shirt, no bra, a pair of bell-bottom jeans, love beads, granny glasses, a headband, and sitting barefoot in the lotus position, held a pair of needle-nose pliers, terminating in the smoldering butt-end of the marijuana cigarette. Then, when she began dating Korean War veterans, she played Johnny and the Starlighters, Brenda Lee, the Platters, and Bill Haley and the Comets on her old record player, and she redecorated her room with Danish modern blonde wood furniture, butterfly chairs, a low glass topped coffee table piled with titles like Is Paris Burning, The Search for Bridie Murphy, Not as a Stranger, Quo Vadis, Tropic of Cancer, The Nine Stories of J.D. Salinger, a circular screen black and white television showing images of gun smoke, Sergeant Bilko, Father Knows Best, You Bet Your Life, and the McCarthy hearings. And while she listened to these men talk about the assault on Porkchop Hill, the defense of the 38th parallel in the face of human wave attacks of faceless Chinese hordes, the bombing of the bridges of Tokori, she served them instant coffee, smoked a Parliament cigarette with a recessed filter, and wore a tight Angora sweater over a pair of Toreador pants. Her push-up bra, terminating in two volcanic breast cones, looked like a missile launcher. But she soon grew tired of them as well, and moved on to World War II veterans with their more lively stories of the landings on the beaches of Normandy, the Battle of the Bulge, of Paris Bistro life, the bloody assault against the Japanese on Tarawa and Iwo Jima. And in the background, she played Glenn Miller records on her phonograph and the broadcasts of Calton Bourne and Edward R. Morrow, especially hooked up to her old Emerson radio. 
She refurnished her apartment once again with overstuffed, heavily upholstered armchairs and a wing-back sofa. There were doilies covering the end tables, a golden retriever asleep on a throw rug in front of the fireplace, and she had a Norman Rockwell on the wall, a picture of a family carving a turkey at Thanksgiving. And the coffee table was piled with issues of Collier's, the Saturday Evening Post, and Life magazine, and gasoline ration tickets. And she served these veterans toast with oleomargarine as a novel replacement for butter, and wore a debutante's ball gown, her hair pulled back in a ponytail, a circle pin hanging from her neck, and smoked camels. When she began to date the elderly veterans of World War I, she played Strauss waltzes, Jalayapin singing Russian opera, and some of the popular current hits of the time, like It's a Long, Long Way to Tipperary, or Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag and Smile, Smile, Smile on an antique phonograph with a great tulip horn and a crack at the side. And she again redecorated her apartment, now with heavy dark wood furniture, the legs of the chairs and tables terminating in the claws of animals clutching wooden balls, the lampshades beaded and tasseled, the walls draped with Persian tapestries, a few Japanese prints, and a sepia etching of an Arcadian scene with some satyrs. Each entranceway from one room to another was hung with a beaded curtain. There was a wood-burning stove in the kitchen and milk bottles on the front porch. And she wore a high-waisted gabardine tan skirt with a cotton top pinched in at the wrists but blousing out of the shoulders, high button shoes and woolen stockings with lots of buttons and crinolines, and she rustled constantly as she moved. Her hair was in a bun on top of her head and she served them tea and milk and lemonade, crocheted cozies to cover their hands and feet, knitted them sweaters, mufflers, long johns, and blankets. The veterans she dated from all the American wars of the 20th century ranged from lowly former privates to retired generals, from short-order cooks, delivery boys, elevator men, auto mechanics, farm boys, to bankers, corporate executives, marketing experts, architects, professors, scientists, philosophers, heirs to great family fortunes, doctors of divinity, conductors of symphony orchestras, all of them having been drafted into the military. Men of all ages peopled her bedroom like a great sad line of one night last stands. She composed poetry, kept a diary, had her picture taken with each one of her G.I. Joes in a photo booth at a nearby amusement park in the shadow of a great Ferris wheel next to the shooting gallery, the sound of the barker punctuated by the firing of ancient carbines chained to the countertop. She'd wander through the park holding hands with each one of her veteran lovers, oblivious to the madness of the carousel music and the ecstatic shrieks of the roller coaster riders. And every night was the last night each man she dated knew that this would be the last time they'd see each other. So there was a kind of poignant, intense enjoyment of each minor activity. The eating of a hot dog, the gentle pressure of her lover's hand on her leg as they rode the bumper car. This is the last time I'll watch him recede toward the men's room, she'd think. This is the last time I'll see him cup his hand around a match as he lights his cigarette against the wind, reminding her of the ephemeral, flickering quality of life's own flame. She cooked each veteran his favorite food, and at the end of the evening would break out a bottle of champagne with two glasses, sit in front of the fireplace, and before smashing the champagne flutes against the blazing logs, would drink to life and love. She attempted to show them all the most romantic evening before retiring for passionate lovemaking, to send them off on what she supposed would be their final journey into battle. 
and when she made love to them, she held them in her arms all night, part harlot and sheltering mother's arms, gentle, protective, and passionate. And the next morning, bravely blinking back tears of profound sorrow, she gave each one the promise that if she had to wait until she was an old woman, outliving the fires of sexuality, even if she had to wait until she was ancient and undesirable, she would reject all others, no matter how dim the memory of this night might become, because her faithfulness was unending. She was forever and ever his. And though they had not formally stepped before the justice of the peace, she carried with her a small gold band, which she pressed into each one's palm upon his departure, saying that she would wear its twin until he returned, until they stepped together before the preacher. She ordered these by the double gross twice a year from a small company in Philadelphia. And she wrote a letter every day about the trivial and the profound, the incidental and the crucial, the elaborate and the modest, the high and the low, the sacred and the profane. And she mailed it to each one, how she dreamt of making love to him, about how her days were empty without his presence, of how she did the small things in life, the placing of flowers next to his photograph, how she walked by the movie theater where they used to, hand in hand, sit watching a double feature, how she just baked a huge tin of cookies and gone to Katz's delicatessen for a salami and had mailed them off to his unit, how she was knitting him a pair of warm socks, surviving on margarine and rations of sugar, and how the men who had stayed home seemed cowardly and soft, and she told him about her job at the defense plant. And then she began to visit memorial parks, huge military cemeteries, where she gazed upon endless rows of crosses and an occasional Jewish star receding into the distance. She wandered among them, her mind racing, imagining the faces of thousands of departed mother's sons. She thought about the ephemeral quality of life, of lost possibility, all the dead young men, all the brothers and husbands, all the fathers and uncles and nephews and orphans, if she could take them all in her arms, enfold them all, clutch them all to her breast, be mother and wife and lover and daughter, for these were the ones she really loved, because the survivors of war could not touch her as deeply as they did. For what is a survivor compared to one who has given up his life? What is one who has come back home compared to the heroism of a person who has given up his most precious treasure, his life, in the defense of his country? And so it was these men who formed the image of her perfect lover, these men that she intended to spend eternity. So the war veterans whom she dated and with whom she'd made love became only shadowy rehearsals for what she hoped would be the ultimate culmination of her most passionate desires, communion with the legions of the dead. And so she returns again and again to the cemeteries of the war dead, and she'll lie down on the grass just above a coffin and imagine making love to one of these men. Because while the living cling fearfully to the known, the dead have made that transcendental leap the living race in ever smaller circles, chasing after momentary physical satisfaction, the gratification of their injured egos, the fulfillment of minor financial and emotional schemes, seeking wealth, security, the adulation of others. And she has no regard for this. It fills her with contempt. It is petty in contrast to the people who died in the war, because they transcend the time in which their acts were committed. Of course she knows that many of the dead did not wish to die, and that many were not heroes. And how does she justify this? She turns to the wisdom of the poet, who says that some of them are great, and some have greatness thrust upon them.
So here's to the snappy salute, to spit and polish, the clicking of booted heels, the singing of martial odes. Here's to the officer's club and the swaggering commandant, to the loving but abusive drill sergeant, to the constant flow of insult that is the philosopher's stone of survival. Here's to the young lieutenant fresh from the academy, to the troop ship, soldiers with their duffel bags slung over their shoulders, their cloth caps slouched and angled on their brows. And here's to weeping parents, sweethearts, and children clutching at the skirts of their mothers, to final tearful embraces and brass bands playing. Here's to the night before the battle, to the assault, the coursing landing craft, to going over the top, to the airborne troopers plunging from their droning seed pods, to the rubber dinghy landing at night. Here's to where the farm boy and the city dweller meet and are made equal. Here's to the arcing shell and magnesium dawn, to the clanking treads of armored personnel carriers, to bullets and howitzers, carbines and recoilless rifles, to mortars and anti-personnel bombs, to fragmentation grenades and tear gas canisters, to machine gun emplacements and flamethrowers, to phosgene and mustard gas, to the serrated bayonet and the deadly rain of shrapnel. Here's to minefields fraught with sudden fragmentation, to screaming Sergeant Death commanding the ragtag remnants of his courageous platoon, and here's to raising the flag on the shattered field of victory, to the prisoner of war camp, to the medevac chopper, the hospital ship, sacrosanct yet sunk, to chaplains, to burial detail and body bags, to taps and other songs. And here's to the brave pilots who, in their cavalier-ready rooms, prepare to become the airborne messengers of death, to the dog-faced infantry who dedicate themselves to the earth as much as their own cause. Here's to words like courage, sacrifice, discipline, glory, maimed, dead. Here's to war. I raise my glass to you and gaze into the roiling liquid of death's own intoxication. O oh, war, you have made the low elevated. You have created heroes, and history will be written by your winner. Peace is pallid next to you. Peace can skulk and shrink a weakling, a coward's paradise. Peace, you lukewarm bowl of grandmother's mush. You washed out stand-in for manly behavior. Peace walks through the marketplace offering second-hand bargains. Peace, the shaver of points, the cut-rate merchant. Peace, you miserable converter of men into swine, you destroyer of valor, quicksand in which nations founder, the bleeding wound in the side of the great avenging angel. Peace, the apologist, the compromiser, the appeaser, the rust upon the edge of courage's great sword. What is peace but an excuse, a reason for cowardice, a refusal to accept one's responsibilities? I spit on peace. I lift my leg on peace. I have my dog to spoil the miserable garden of peace. There are no medals to peace, no honors, no marching bands, no great monuments to peace, no hymns sung, no great odes, no martial melodies, no parades to peace. There are no gigantic fireworks displays, no champagne corks popped to peace, no last cigarette smoked in its honor. There is no night before peace, no declaration of peace. The very absurdity of a nation declaring peace on another shocks the imagination. And who among us can say that he has heard of the spoils of peace? Is there such a thing as a peace hero? Who among us have gathered with his old cronies late at night, hoisted a glass, and told peace stories? What valiant young man has been welcomed back from peace? What young boy has gazed longingly at his father, saying that he would willingly go to peace to save his country?
jagged jigsaw pieces Tossed about the room I saw my grandma sweeping With her old straw broom But she didn't know what she was doing She could hardly understand That she was really sweeping up Pieces of a man I saw my daddy meet the mailman And I heard the mailman say Now don't you take this letter too hard now Jimmy They've laid off nine others today But he didn't know what he was saying He could hardly understand That he was only talking to him Pieces of a man I saw the thunder and heard the lightning And felt the burden of his shame And for some unknown reason Never turned my way Pieces of that letter Were tossed about the room And now I hear the sound of sirens Come knifing through the gloom But they don't know what they are doing They could hardly understand That they're only arresting Pieces of a man I saw him go to pieces
afraid of the rain said nail As to hammer and it said nail As to boat and the boat said sail As to man and the man said why As to apple and it said fly As to bug and the bug said fly As to monster and he said die As to convict and he said jail the rain and the rain said hail As the hammer and it said nail As the boat and the boat said sail As the pig and the pig said sly As the gal and the gal said guy As the friend and the friend said hi As the enemy and he said bye As the shirt and the shirt said wear As the barber and he said As the rain and the rain said hail As the hammer and it said nail As the boat and the boat said sail As the foot and the foot said shoe As the ghost and the ghost said boo As the pair and the pair said too As myself and myself said you As the wheel and the wheel said tire as the plug and the plug said wire As the boss and boss said higher As another one and he said fire As the mouse and the mouse said fail As the wind and the wind said gale
dei miei sospir calda e serena, dolce sentier che si amaro riesci, volle che mi piacesti, or mi rincresci, o vancor per usanza amor mi mena. Conosco in voi l'usate forme, non lasso in me, che da sì lieta vita son fatto albergo d'infinita doglia. Please don't live in the past. I'm not living in the past, Mom. I was just... What's that? 